Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Justin Ling. Hi, it's me. Journalist. Sometimes. No, all the time. Today, Justin, we are going to talk about Maxime Bernier's coke habit. Oh, come on. It's a pun. I'm going to pretend like that's not my joke that I gave you before we taped the show, and that's, that's terrible, Jesse. It's terrible. It's a pun, people. <laughs> Andrew Coyne's creepy monarch fetish. Not a pun. Mommy issues. Just call it mommy issues. And Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for shutting people up with a libel threat. Nice to have you here. Yeah, I, I bet. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Ian Robertson, Selena Liss, Martin Goudreau, Karim, Keely Lefebvre, Mike Hadfield, Jessica Orr, and Scott Brown. I support Canada Land because I like to keep abreast of current events in Canada. And you and the team at Canada Land bring a unique perspective to major stories, and they shine a light on events that do not receive wide attention within the mainstream media. They also provide a check on how major media outlets report on stories and help to provide the necessary tools to critically think about today's media and how we consume it. And this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Justin, you both use and uh, advertise FreshBooks on your show, Oppo. That's true. It is the only thing keeping me from being, I assume, thrown in a jail cell by the CRA. That might yet happen. Um, <laughs> FreshBooks, as you know, is super straightforward to use, Justin. It saves you and I both hours every week and gives us more time for our creativity to flourish. 
That's what it says here. It gives us time to do our actual jobs and not to be uh, tied up with paperwork. If that is not enough incentive, the FreshBooks platform has been rebuilt from the ground up. They have taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level and added powerful new features. I have all this time now that I let my creativity flourish everywhere, from the bank to the the train station. They keep asking me to leave, but I okay. Stop back. flourishing for a moment. Uh, they allow for <laughs> online payments in two clicks. New projects feature where you can invite employees or contractors to collaborate easily and share information. It just keeps growing on what you can do with this thing. Try it out. Give it a shot if you are a entrepreneur or running a small business. You get a 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. You don't need a credit card. Go to freshbooks.com/canadaland and enter Canadaland in the "How did you hear about us?" section. So Wendy Misley has this supposedly media criticism show on the CBC. That's what it was, I think, originally billed as. And uh, she had Maxime Bernier on the show, and they didn't talk about media all that much. They talked about whether or not Maxime Bernier is connected to the Koch brothers. That went on for a while. Here's what it sounded like. I don't have any link with uh, the international organization. I'm doing politics in Canada based on freedom ideas, and that can be the only link. So and no contact with the Koch brothers? No, no, no contacts with them. With the Mercer family? No contact with them. You say you have no link to these American billionaires or their billions, and yet you and a big chunk of your senior team worked uh, either at the Montreal Economic Institute or at the Fraser Institute. Both are linked, they're partnered with the Atlas Network, which is largely funded by the Koch brothers, who are American libertarian billionaires. So you are, you are linked, are you not, <laughs> at least in thinking? So Bernier was cordial enough. It's this funny disconnect between Twitter and TV. Like in TV, you got to smile and shake Wendy Mesley's hand and everything's like, even at the end after this contentious interview. And then he hits Twitter. He says, that was a smear job, twisted from beginning to end. And then Ken White, the former National Post editor, he, he's up in arms about this. Everyone's saying, this is why the CBC is so hated and why the ratings are tanking. Did you think this was an unfair interview? Yeah. I actually, I really hate this interview for making me relate or empathize with Maxine Bernier. That made me very frustrated. I think Wendy Mesley is a, a great host, a great interviewer, and I think she was just completely off base on this thing. So she was basically playing up this this idea that there was some sort of, you know, uh, Republican fifth column in Canada that was you know, funneling money to to far right causes. The reality is, is it's not that sexy. You know, like I've, I've looked at these these funding networks before. There certainly is a little bit of shady money coming into Canada from far right causes and they end up going to places like the rebel media. There's a couple of uh, reporter reporters. If you can't see the square quotes that I was using them. I can uh, see them yeah. uh, uh, there's some people on their old media payroll who are being paid directly by, you know, a, a group that works closely with Steve Bannon or at least used to. So there, it's not like this doesn't happen. But I think when you start just pointing at every bit of American money coming from a political cause on the right or the left uh, coming into Canada, you run the risk of playing up this very sort of conspiratorial problem that isn't really a problem. You know, the right – like Andrew Scheer has recently gone after groups like the Sierra Club for taking money from, you know, foreign uh, powers and usually it's it's American, you know, environmental groups um, or George Soros. Um, you can almost hear the three brackets around that name when I say it. Echo. Uh, echo. <laughs> so all this to say is that you know if the Koch brothers fund a group that gives money to the Fraser Institute, which of course is a center right or, or right wing or libertarian think tank, I don't know that we should freak out about that. And for Wendy Mesley to then do an entire segment suggesting that somehow because the Fraser Institute gets money that they have ties to helping Maxime Bernier, it is a ludicrous assumption. The reporting and the investigation and the, and the journalism doesn't support that assertion. So she, the fact that she would do an entire interview based on that, that, that supposition is 
really bad. And I can understand why Maxime Bernier would be upset about it. There's plenty of things to criticize and question and chastise Maxime Bernier about that has nothing to do with where that money's coming from. We have very strict campaign finance laws in this country. By all accounts, he has not run afoul of them to create this, this conspiratorial notion that he's uh, somehow at the behest of you know the massive Koch brothers enterprise. It's wrong. It's stupid. And it's really frustrating. That being said, one bad interview does not make the CBC, you know, this crazy left-wing propaganda network that others, including Ken White, have suggested. That's just not the case. No. So the entire interview was not dedicated to that. She did get into some other stuff. It and was it, the majority of the interview. It was weird and it was dogged. And it, it was the kind of thing that, like, that is totally fair game for reporting, right? Yeah. The fact that he worked for an organization that was funded in part by the Koch brothers. He worked there over a decade ago. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with a journalist trying to find out what are the financial and ideological underpinnings of this guy's thing and, and what are his... And, this, and, and actually, to, sorry, let me jump in again because we actually don't know that they're fully funded. So he worked for the Montreal Economic Institute. We don't even know if they were, quote unquote, funded by the Koch brothers at that point. They have been a partner... They were a partner with the Atlas Network, which is funded by the Koch brothers. They are right? now. We don't even know that they were then. And and Wendy Mesley does not set up that fact when she I goes to the interview. I mean, I, I think that's, that's a reasonable line of inquiry. I think it's out of place in that format yeah. in like a let's sit down and chat about your new party. That's right. And I think that going after it that way, it's like like maybe that's a, a dead end line of inquiry. Maybe there's something there. And there's also like a question of distinction here. Situating Bernier within the global populist libertarian uprising, all, mm-hmm. right, all that is is an absolutely valid line of inquiry where there's yeah. substantial proof to associate him with that. Trying to find out direct economic links between him and the Koch brothers is a different kind of thing entirely. It just was weird out and, of place. And it's worth noting that the Koch brothers generally don't fund the sort of uh, nativist populism that we've seen around the world. Like we, They've had a significant falling out with Donald Trump. You know, they've, they've not, to the best of my knowledge, funded groups uh, like UKIP or, you know, other far-right groups uh, like the Swedish Democrats. And maybe if they yeah, have... I, I think immigration was... I think that economics are their big issue and they just want... They're actually in favor of, the, say, the DREAM Act. Like, the Koch brothers actually support legal immigration in a way that even Donald Trump doesn't... Uh, my, limited, say, my limited knowledge of the Koch brothers is that they're being funneling massive amounts of money into global politics to further their economic interests. Yeah, that's right. That's like, right. it's just, yeah. you know, billionaires, let billionaires be. Yeah. Leave the billionaires alone. That's the Koch brothers' agenda. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah, I, I think it was a bad interview. I don't know that it was evidence of, you know, CBC's, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with yeah. you there. I and think there, there was a Carol that, Off interview with Bernie that was that much was better. Up. Actually, I even brought my own clip. I come with my own homework when I come on your show, Jesse. Um, you've never come on my show. Oppo, every second Tuesday. Can we, can we play this clip of Carol Off? Because I think it's brilliant because, you know, she actually got to the heart of what I really think is is of concern for most people, which is Bernie's actual beliefs, not where his money or his support is coming from. She actually does a good job of setting up the whole interview. It's a long-form interview, and I think it's actually brilliantly done. What is your evidence that people coming to this country don't share those values or are not wanting I'm to not, take part in this I'm project? I'm not saying that. I just want... Well, I'm, you are in these tw- tweets. You're mm-hmm. warning about the... Here's another quote. Having people live among us who reject basic Western values yeah. such as freedom, equality, tolerance, and openness yeah. doesn't make us strong. Uh, they want to live in a ghetto. Yeah. Uh, they uh, That's balkanization. These people bring distrust, social conflict, potentially violence. Who are these people, Monsieur Bernier? <laughs> it's people who don't, who don't share Canadian values. I said that in the beginning of the tweet. I think the CBC does have a problem, though, and I think they do have to smarten up. I think they have to stop letting themselves be used as props for this kind of political theater. This is like, obviously, it's a more... No, you're saying two things. What did they do to stop doing, and how will they stop someone like Bernie from bashing them? I think that there's a a very well-established, kind of like dumb, predictable playbook here, where Bernie will go onto the CBC so he can bash them afterwards, or, you know, whether it's premeditated or not. And they shouldn't invite him on, or they should... 
No, I, I think that, that you kind of had like a recreation of the famous Jordan Peterson interview where he, Jordan Peterson owns interviewer. Like Wendy Misley looked like she was out to get Bernie. Mm-hmm. She looked like she had an agenda and she allows him to facilitate his crowdfunding and the CBC is out to get me afterwards. They got to smarten up and realize they're being used in this way. And, you know, think you about- You can't tailor your, your journalism based on how people are going to react to it. Well, you could just do a better interview. Like, I, mean, well, listen, I agree. That interview was bad, but point me to another one of the last little while that is really evidence that the CBC is problematic. Wait a second. What you just said is interesting. You can't tailor your journalism to the way people are going to react to it. I mean, what? Of course you have to be, how the impact, this is actually a really big question for journalism mm-hmm. at large, okay, is ever since Trump put journalists in a cage at his like WWE Raw style. Uh, a better metaphor there would be like children, like immigrant children. Like they immigrant children. Cr- sure. And so like look at them, children. rattle the cage, they're out to get you. A reality entered into the equation where we're not, like we, we like to pretend that we're just like, we're past, we're just here writing things down and telling the world about them. But now we are being used as props and we are, we are uh, maybe even more more influential in the service that we uh-huh. provide as props to populist leaders than we are in our role so what do you suggest educating the public. Basically, Justin, it's a return to first principles. It's just like actually ask questions that you've researched and that you want answers to. And I think that you're uh, protected against that kind of manipulation. Justin, I know that you talked about the National Post expose on the governor general and how she doesn't like her job uh, on oppo with jen there's just like one kind of media aspect of this that i want to talk with you about and that is andrew coin's take on this i really love how andrew coin most days is sort of the calm reasonable rational person in the room but if you bring up the monarchy he loves him some queen let's uh let's read from this a bit he, he gets very romantic A modern constitutional monarch has many roles, but among them is to be a living symbol of the taming of the crown from all powerful autocrat to deferential servant of democracy. For in the end, the choice of governor general is an expression of what we value as a society. The appointee, after all, is required. I don't know why I'm doing this voice recording. (laughs) It's really entertaining, though. The appointee is required not only to represent the nation, but to unify it in times of crisis. Now do it in Cockney. But we are a deeply unserious country. We deny that gravitas matters or that some could be in greater possession of it than others. The consequences confront us. I'm going to go on. There was another part. Oh, my God. Hello, that governor general. (laughs) The humanizing symbolism of placing at the apex of our society, not some dry abstraction or totalizing idea, but a family like any other. Wow, he is an anachronism sometimes. Uh, He actually suggests in this thing that like, if only they had a queen in the States, that would be the cure for Trump. He's kind of like, he's a little bit cuckoo sometimes. The man man loves his queen. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, He loves the monarchy. You know, having me react to this is is funny because I'm still of the opinion that we should put all of the monarchs on an island and leave them there. With enough food and water, I'm not I'm not barbaric. Or, you know, the alternative is that they just no longer get to keep their palace uh, and have to be regular people. I've been, I've been kind of struggling with this for the last couple of days because, you know, for all the current pearl clutching uh, over the governor general, and there has been substantial amounts of it. And uh, I think he actually has pearls that he was clutching He probably does. Um, as part of Her Majesty's uh, 60th anniversary collection of pearls, uh, I imagine. Um, <laughs> he has the commemorative plates. I yeah, yeah, too. the commemorative pearls. You know, 
It's tough. I've been looking back uh, just at former governors general over the last couple of days, just out of curiosity, and I kind of forget how much controversy was a, was around governors general like Adrian Clarkson and Mikel Jean. There was a whole you know sleepy period where uh, Daniel Johnson was was governor general, but you know previous governors general faced an enormous amount of backlash. You know there was concerns that Mikel Jean was a separatist. Um, she was criticized. I'm still concerned. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I cut short your list? I'm, I think I'm with you ultimately. Like, who cares? Yeah. Their job is to like not wear a certain pin and, yeah. and show up and sign something. And and could anything matter less? My, my thing is either they don't matter and are fundamentally a figurehead or they matter, in, in which case we should give them more of a job. I feel bad for anybody in this job right now because it, it just looks honestly infuriating. I kind of feel for her. I, I'm sure if I was in that job, I would be the same way. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I blame the liberals for appointing her, given blame, that she seems unsuited for blame it. Blame the liberals. They didn't vet her. <laughs> Incompetence. They were virtuous. Like, who cares? So they didn't vet her. She's, she's literally anyone's qualified for this job. If, if, if you were capable of- <laughs> You and I are not qualified for anything resembling that job. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course I am. I can show up and nod and then meet people. Like, no, you couldn't. How <laughs> Fair. Most people are qualified for this job. I mean, you know, any teacher could be the the governor general. Any, you know, any woodworker. Like, you just so, have to be nice. You just have to be nice and nod. Like that is like you nod at legislation, and then that legislation is law because the queen's a god or something. You know, like I don't know. I'm just frustrated. I just feel like it's such a, a waste of time to care about this. I am totally here, and maybe Andrew Coyne will be the weird person to suggest this. I'm here for a governor general that would have a, a better role, maybe one that actually you know has some capacity to it, because right now it feels like you know we're, we're spending a lot of time young at a woman for not showing up to nod at a thing, and I just I just don't care. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. 
It's my show, so I'm going to duly note first, and I want to duly note. Uh, I want to duly note Oppo. I want to talk with you about Oppo for a second. Oh God, <laughs> is this an intervention? <laughs> it's an apology, really. A lot of people listen to Oppo and enjoy it. The show is very well. Do listened. they? They do. Well, oh, shit. There are some who listen to it and don't enjoy it. I know that they listen to it because they they are responding specifically to things in the show. And I think like, you know, I have to say both in making a show that is attracting a lot of listeners and in making a show that like, you know, let's have a fun, rowdy, informative politics show was the idea. And I think that that you and Jen deliver that. And I really like the show, but I think I've done you a tremendous disservice. By hiring us? By hiring you. I know I've done you a tremendous disservice because like, there's a couple of things I want to point out. Like one thing is, is that I have done a bad job of letting people know like, we decided to make a fun, rowdy, informative politics show. We did not decide to spend our patrons' money on it. We have some projects that we spend, that we crowdfund on. We say, hey, give us money and we'll make the show. And we have other shows that we just say, hey, let's make the show because it'll be a good show and we might make some money off of it. And Oppo is not a show that our patrons pay for. And we haven't done a good job of communicating that to people, which is, I think, my level of responsibility in the next part of this. The problem is that people are being really unpleasant to Jen. And, oh, yeah. You know, and, and like on the most recent episode, she says, I know very little about Quebec. She says she says the words, I'm ignorant on this topic, Justin, you know more. And then she makes after that caveat, she mixes up uh, Jacques Perizot with René Levesque. Mm which uh, is an unfortunate error that, you know, you might have caught. or uh, I should have caught. You know, the, or, the, or, or, you know, David, uh, he could have cut that too, the producer who's with yeah. us now. You know, either you could have cut that, but it's not about the blank. Like, that is a understandable human error and one that she kind of, like, let you know uh, going into it. I am no expert on yeah. this topic. And the vitriol with which she has been met, the anger, and it's not the first time, like – I don't agree with Jen on a lot of things, but she does her job in like really good faith. She knows a lot of things. And she she's like, I have opinions and analysis and facts for you for free. That is her relationship with the public if you want them. And too many people respond to that with like kind of an unpleasant and gendered response that that is no more like it's no more palatable coming from people with progressive politics than it is from people on the other side of things. I have to say, being the co-host of the show, I don't get that much negative stuff. Every once in a while, you know, an unpleasant tweet, like occasionally a snarky email. People are really positive to me about it. And I can't, I've been scratching my head and trying to figure out what is the difference between me and Jen that she's getting all of this angry email and I can't, we're identical in almost every way. I wonder if that she's a woman. I, I wonder something. Also, that she's conservative. Conservative people just get conservative people in media get a, a surprising amount of shit. It is absolutely gendered. Look, she's combative. She fights with you. She fights with me. So I think there's an attitude of like, hey, bring it on. But what gets brought on is not, it's not commensurate. Like, you are much more irritating than Jenny. Yeah. You, you don't get a no, fraction yeah. no, of the shit that she right. gets. I don't like it. I want people to stop it. And, you know, I don't like it for it to be an unpleasant experience for people to work for this company. And know? it's funny, the tone The tone is different. Like when I get, you know, stuff, email from listeners, a lot of it will be like, well, I heard your point here. And here is an eight point rebuttal that I think really captures the debate on the issue. And with Jen, it's just like, you're a, you're a dumb idiot and you don't know anything. Go back to your kitchen. It's just like- If they even address it to her, sometimes it's like, oh, about Jen, but not addressed yeah, yeah, to her. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, I mean, I think that there was one piece that really, like, she wrote a piece about Doug Ford during the campaign that she did not write the headline for. The headline was, yeah. like, don't worry, Doug Ford won't be so bad. Yeah. And I get why people were angry about that. 
you know, if you really are concerned about Doug Ford becoming premier, and I think people had a, a good reason to, like, that's like that's the kind of media that you hate. She didn't write that headline, and I think that she's been made to wear that in a way that I also think is unfair. Yeah, and the piece is actually really good. It was nuanced. It kind of like underscored the various problems, especially on the right with with Doug Ford, like from the right. And then she came on the show, you know, not long before he was elected. We talked about it extensively about, you know, all of the problems and the dangers posed by Doug Ford and then did it again afterwards. And people just fixed it on that headline. Yeah, I guess in, in, in summation, like, I think that Jen is delightful. I learned something listening to her and you uh, on Oppo all the time. But if you don't want to hear it, you're not paying for it. And it is incredibly, like, you have to do, like, five things to listen to it. You have to, like, mm. go and, yeah. like, subscribe to it and download it and press play. Don't do those things. But if you do want to listen to it, I think it's a wonderful show and people should. And uh, that's all. Duly noted. Justin, what have you? I brought a, I brought a clips with me. I, I, I even brought my own producer. You I left it in the car. clips for Duly noted? <laughs> I did. Because someone has to be prepared for this thing. And it's, it's, it's very short. Okay, let's go ahead and play it. I'm sorry, we can't have any disruption. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can we take care of this, please? Thank you. Thank you. That's enough. Can we? Thank you. Can we have her removed? Thank you. Okay, let's talk about Faith let's Goldie. Let's talk about Faith Goldie. Fine. Right. So, you know, that was the sound of, of Faith Goldie rushing the stage at uh, a Toronto mayoral debate just recently. So and it was. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I'm, I'm really curious because this is like a nice Petri dish example of, I think, how, how far-right candidates are going to play in Canada and potentially elsewhere. You know, there was a lot of concern that the more oxygen you give to her as a candidate in the media, the more that you pay attention to her, the more she'll grow and the more powerful she'll become. And thus far, I haven't seen the evidence of it. You know, I wrote a thing about her a couple months ago in The Walrus, and people immediately were telling me, oh, you, you can't do this. The, the more you write about her, the more uh, established she'll become, and, and you'll, you're basically legitimizing her. And then since then, she's, you know, cropped up in, uh, you know, various newspapers, on TV, you know, her storming the, the stage of the debate. There's been focus on her getting a picture with Doug Ford. And I haven't really seen an increase in support for her. So I actually think this is a quite interesting little microcosm to establish whether or not, you know, actually covering extremist or fringe candidates uh, will actually help their poll numbers or actually lead to them getting elected. Because, you know, there's this whole theory that the only reason Trump is president is because the media started covering his campaign as though it were legitimate. And I think now we have a pretty good example of how that might not be true. He's currently at like 1.5% in the polls, if you're if you're wondering. Well, thank you for doing a better job of making a point that I struggled to make earlier uh, when we were arguing before. Yes, uh, it's not about uh, not covering her or doing your job any differently. It's doing the job well. And we try to like catalog Faith Goldie's many documented racist uh, comments and associations. You do an analytic piece about Faith Goldie. Uh, you don't feed into this, uh, oh, we're suppressing or censoring her in a way that feeds into her narrative. And lo and behold, sunlight is the best disinfectant, and uh, she's failing in the polls. Well, but, so, so it seems at this point. But actually, to go support my point from earlier, uh, when, I, when I was writing this piece for The Walrus, you know, I basically said, in writing this story, I have no idea how it will play. Maybe this will be the floodgates to, uh, you know, mainstream legitimization. You know, how dare you? To, to Faith Goldie being legitimized. Maybe it will, you know, alert people to kind of the crazy things she believes and they, and they will, you know, not buy into her uh, snake oil. In writing that piece, I'm like, I don't know which one it will do, if anything. I have no idea what impact this will have. If I start thinking about those things, I'm going to have an aneurysm. So I just can't. And I, I can't really start worrying about how it's going to play or how she could spin it into her own, uh, you know, twisted uh, campaign. Okay, duly noted. 
Okay, somebody else we're not supposed to talk about lest they get bigger is Jordan Peterson, even as he grows smaller. I'm going to talk about Jordan Peterson. He's um, literally shrinking as a human. Yes. He, he doesn't look well. That's another thing entirely. Maybe, just maybe, it's that all-meat diet he's on. Maybe. Maybe it's Maybelline. No, it's the scurvy. <laughs> Jordan Peterson is back in the news because he is once again threatened uh, a libel action through his assumedly pro bono, ideologically motivated lawyer, Howard Levitt. I thought it was a labor lawyer, but anyhow, he keeps throwing out these uh, libel claims. The most recent threat was sent to the academic and critic Kate Mann for words that were printed in an interview with her in Vox. And here is like, you know, when, when you accuse somebody of libel, it's like, what specifically libeled you? So you got to actually say, this is the thing. And this is part of what Jordan Peterson considers libelous, what the speech that he demands be retracted, apologize for. 12 Rules for Life included some really eyebrow-raising, authoritarian-sounding, and even cruel things. Uh, Mann also uh, is accused of libel for saying, It doesn't seem accidental that Peterson's skepticism about objective facts arises when it's conveniently anti-feminist. I also took issue with the line, I also suspect that for many of Peterson's readers, the sexism on display above is one tool among many to make forceful, domineering moves that are typical of misogyny. So I don't know in what world that is libelous. That seems like criticism that he might not like. And yeah, uh, libel world, uh, the world's worst theme park. <laughs> the uh, the threat follows an earlier one where he actually has has launched a lawsuit against Wilfrid Laurier University for things the professor said about him in private. Peterson, of course, this is relevant because he says, I am a student of authoritarian regimes. His whole shtick is about cracking down on language and you, you can't tell me what pronouns to use. When he sued Wilfrid Laurier University, I observed speculatively that this was a bullshit libel chill case, that he had no hope of winning and that the only reason to do this was to, and he kind of, he said this, to stop people from criticizing him and to make not the people who've already criticized him pay because they're never going to lose that side. Maybe they'll settle for something paltry uh, to make him go away. But he specifically said he was doing this to cause other academics and institutions and administrators to be more circumspect in their words. So there wasn't like a big mystery as to whether or not he was launching libel claims in order to chill speech. I bring this up now not because he's done it again, but because I think I have something to add to this because I think I kind of have proof that that is exactly – like I was, I was saying I think this is what he's doing before. Now I think I know that's what he's doing because we received a legal threat from Howard Levitt on behalf of, of Jordan Peterson. Okay. Where's, where's the libel bell? I want to ring the libel bell. Ding, 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 ding. I, you know, to add to our collection, we have a proud collection of threat notices from uh, Marineland, uh, from... Uh, Libeland's sister theme park. That's right. <laughs> uh, Brunswick News from from uh, the Irving uh, News Organization. I'm, I'm oh, very... I, thought th I thought they just killed you. Um, I thought the Irvings just sent a hitman and that was it. It might be on the way. Oh, okay. um, but specifically, we were threatened. And here's the specific language of the threat. We sent Peterson some questions about a former patient of his who'd come forward, and we were giving him a chance to respond. And he responded with a threat. And the threat from Howard Levitt on Peterson's behalf said, circulating any of the information in your letter will result in immediate proceedings for libel and injurious falsehood. That was sent to us on May 25th. We went ahead with our story. We published our story. We published the libel threat. And there was no immediate proceeding. Nor has there been any proceeding since. And three months is an important number. Three months is sort of the window in which this can happen. Now, there's ways in which you can get around that. And maybe I'm bringing on, maybe to prove me a liar uh, or to prove that he's not one, Peterson will now follow through. And I'm very foolish for bringing this up. But I'm going to bring it up because my opinion is that this is an abuse of libel law. This is libel chill in action. 
And this is what suppresses so much coverage in Canada. It's not libel law, it's libel chill. It's the threat of libel. It's that these letters scare the shit out of newsrooms. I think it's just clearly and baldly hypocritical for a so-called champion of free speech and academic inquiry to be flagrantly bluffing, just bluffing about what he's going to do. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. And whether the cases have any merit or not, not even following through with the suit, just trying to get people to shut up. Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, to say it's hypocritical, I mean, it's, it's so blatantly obvious. I mean, the man crusades about the necessity of free speech and how the, the how endangered free speech is on campuses and elsewhere, uh, and then goes around threatening people with, with monetary damages if they ever dare say a word about a shitty book. And I bring on the levels that I would be so happy. We, we know that Ontario has actually quite good protections for uh, strategic lawsuits against public participation or SLAP. And, you know, Every one of these is filed appears to be exactly that. He doesn't want public criticism of his philosophy, of his ideology, of his book, which is so funny because his whole his whole shtick is saying we need to have reasoned debate in, in the public square about these ideas. Um, but anybody who shows up to suggest that maybe his ideas are garbage, um, you know, is threatened to find themselves inside a courtroom. And this strikes to a bigger problem in that, you know, Wealthy folks in the media think they can just sue whoever the fuck they want because they don't agree with them. Warren Kinsella is quite possibly the most notorious uh, abuser of libel law in Canada. Ezra Levant was for many years. You know, I've had lawsuit threats. Actually, quite funnily, uh, Warren Kinsella once threatened to sue me because I compared his consulting group to the Hindenburg and then the Titanic. Uh, and uh, I actually got an email from Ezra Levant offering to uh, write my statement of claim uh, pro bono, which would have been hilarious. I think we uh, just achieved the singularity. <laughs> <laughs> it was a funny day. All this to say is that I am so tired of people who already have a significant media platform using the court system to beat the shit out of their 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 the people Critics. who criticize them. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard of Warren Kinsella using this on, you know, teenage girls for saying mean things about him on Twitter. I've heard about, you know, you you run the gamut of ridiculous uh, lawsuits. And this goes many different ways. You know, Daniel Dale threatening to sue Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto, because uh, he did some unpleasant things. Equally, not equally, to a different degree, problematic and stupid. Libel law is supposed to be, you know, a recourse for people who don't have another out to defend themselves or who don't have the ability to kind of push back on these claims. It's not supposed to be, you know, a playground for all of your personal petty squabbles. It's not supposed to be a place to hash out criticisms of your work. That's not what it's for. You know, libel fundamentally, I think, is supposed to be a protection for people who could have their livelihood or their lives damaged by defamatory claims made against them. You know, if you are hosting a show or you have a you know a weekly spot on a political panel or you have a newspaper column, you already have a way to say, that's not true. This mm -hmm. is the truth. Y yeah, sure. It's nice to have a judge there agree with you, but you know, judges loathe to get into these sort of um, back and forth squabbles. And I, I think fundamentally, it's time that rich folks stop abusing the court system and stop using it as their personal playground. You bring up an interesting one with Daniel Dale. Like that's one case where, you know, it's a common tactic to shoot the messenger, disparage the, the journalist, try to kill their credibility. And there's a few cases I can think of where journalists have shot back and said, you can't say that about me. I'm suing you for libel. And the Dale case is one where the outcome was Ford apologized and sort of told the truth. That's like a good one for uh, Monday Canada Land. Thanks, Justin. You're welcome. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Justin, where can people find you? 
Oh, I mean, I prefer if they just didn't find Just me. answer the question. <laughs> I'm at Justin underscore Ling on Twitter. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. The return of Canada Land Commons this coming Tuesday with new host Archie Mann. And this season, he will be looking at, all season long, corruption in Canada. Do not miss that. Maybe corruption right here in the Canada Land offices. What? <laughs> This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A, Malibu.com, code GLOW.